In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, there's one fundamental truth that we should always come to when we read the Gospels, and that is Jesus Christ shows us the fullness of God. And one of the things that Jesus gives to us that we see here in our reading is that Jesus gives us the full, proper name of God. It is the name into which Jesus tells us to baptize all nations, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Likewise, it's the name in which we worship God. We begin every service in the name of God. I preach, I begin every sermon in the same name of God. You leave this church every Sunday being blessed with that same name. And so when we celebrate Trinity Sunday, we are, of course, worshiping the God who is named for us, named as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there must be no confusion on that. For Christians, this is unambiguous. It's without question. And it's why the Trinity is so foundational for us. The Trinity is the name by which we know God. It's the name that the psalmist tells us in Psalm 8 is majestic in all the earth. The Trinity is the majestic name in which we are joined together with God. We remember, of course, that we do not give God a name. Only God can give us his name. For example, in Exodus, Moses comes to a burning bush and he asks God, what should I call you? Who should I say sent me? And God gives a name to Moses by which to call him, the name which is I am. Later in the Old Testament, King Solomon builds the temple, and he calls this temple a house for God's name. God's name becomes God's very own presence. It represents God with his people. And so Jesus then, who gives us the complete picture of who God is for us, also gives to us the full picture of God's presence in his name. And that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to have his name is a gift. Because it's not something that we can come to on our own. It's not something we can deduce through an equation or through scientific experiments. God's full name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is given to us as a gracious gift. And to have God's name is to have something real of God's presence. Because we don't need an idol to represent God. We don't need a statue to stand in front of us to represent God. We don't have to worry, we don't have to doubt that we are calling out to the wrong God. We don't have to worry that God does not hear us. Instead, we've been graciously given God's name. And in having his name, we are reminded that he is forever present with us. So what Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, is even greater than this, however. Because Jesus tells us not only do we have the name of God to call upon, but that we are baptized into this same name. In other words, when we are given a new birth and baptism, we're given a new name. Our old name doesn't go away, but the name of God becomes enmeshed with our own name. When we baptize someone, we say the person's name, and then we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God is forever connecting himself to the person who's baptized. 
When you were baptized, God forever connected his presence to you. He has adopted you. He's given you his name. He's given you the name that is majestic in all the earth. Now, our gospel reading from Matthew 28 comes at the very end of the gospel. And what's remarkable and gets me every time in this reading is at the very end of the gospel, we're told that some of the 11 disciples had doubts. Think about that. These are the men who walked with Jesus throughout his whole ministry. They had seen countless miracles. These are the men who saw Jesus heal the sick. They saw Jesus give sight to the blind. They saw Jesus raise the dead, walk on water, feed the multitude. They even saw that Jesus himself had risen from the dead. And still, some had their doubts. And it's an important reminder to us first that faith does not come from sight, but by hearing. Right? These men had seen all Jesus had done, but per perhaps they had forgotten that Jesus had done all of this for them. They had forgotten in that moment that what Jesus did was for them and their salvation, for their forgiveness. Likewise, our faith comes not when we see great things, but when we hear that what Jesus Christ has done for us. And this is what Jesus does for the disciples. Because for those who had their doubts, Jesus looked at them, he came to them, and he preached the gospel to them. He didn't smack them in the head and say, what is wrong with you? What else do I need to do for you? He doesn't berate them or belittle them. He didn't disown them. He didn't say, you get a failing grade, get out of here. He didn't say, you're going to have to repeat the class. Instead, he preached to them, again, gospel promises. And specifically, he reminds them of what it means to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says that all authority is his. He says that heaven and earth are under his command. And so he tells them, when you're baptized into the name of God, then it must be so. Because God's word can be no different. You are marked with the name of God, which means that you are forever marked with God's presence. This means that sin cannot overcome you. The devil will not defeat you. Not even the grave can hold you because you bear the name of the one who is majestic in all of creation. And there is nothing in this creation greater than that name. And with that, Jesus says, I am with you until the end of the age. It is God's presence in his name. And you, dear Christian, bear his name. You are raised with him and given life with him. Christ is always with you. You can't not drive him away from you. Even in the moments of your doubt and unbelief like these 11 disciples, even in moments of sin, he doesn't leave you. He is always there, always giving you his name, always proclaiming your forgiveness in that same name. So this is why the doctrine of the Trinity is so important to us and why we celebrate it this Sunday. Knowing the name of God, knowing that God is one God three, and three persons will always remind us of the gospel. God is not just a faraway God. He's not just an abstraction or an idea. He's not just a philosophy. He's not just a divine being who wound up creation like a clock and now sits back and watches it unfold. Rather, God is the one who creates and sustains you. 
He has sent his son to die for you, and his spirit gives you life. He is the one who makes promises to forgive you, to resurrect you, and he, and he is the one who does all this for you. And knowing his name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a kind of assurance of these promises. Because he's not a faraway God. He's not an unknown God. He is God for you. Martin Luther puts it like this. All who are outside the Christian church, whether heathens or Muslims, Jews or false Christians or hypocrites, even though they believe in and worship only the one God, nevertheless, they do not know what God's attitude is toward them. They cannot have confidence of his love and blessing. Therefore, they remain in eternal wrath and damnation, for they do not have the Lord Christ and besides are not blessed by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so you also, having been marked with the eternal name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, can be confident of God's love and blessing. Because you, not, you don't just have a generic, unknown, abstract God somewhere up in the heavens. You have God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who has put his name on you. And so you don't have to wonder. And when, like the disciples, you do have your doubts, you do have your uncertainties, hearing the name of God can be a great comfort for you. This is the God who is for you. This is the God who loves you. When you hear every Sunday in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, hear the name of the God who will not leave you. In a few moments, we will recite together the Athanasian Creed. So the Athanasian Creed is one of three creeds, along with the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, that Lutherans hold on to. And so the Creed is now notorious because it takes a while to get through. And it's known because it has a negative aspect. It has a renunciation. Because it says anyone who does not keep the faith whole and unbroken will doubtless perish eternally. And that sounds harsh to many modern ears. It sounds like if you don't keep this creed, you're going to go to hell. What it's getting at, though, it's not that you have to understand the doctrine of the Trinity perfectly. And if you don't grasp this creed, you're not going to be saved. Instead, what it wants you to hear, what it's saying, is that without the God who is for us, we will perish. If Christ is not fully God, then we have no confident hope of being saved. If the Holy Spirit is not fully God, then we have no confident hope in God's gracious presence. And so to reject the Trinity is to reject the good news of our salvation. And to confess the Trinity is to confess the gospel. And so when we confess the Athanasian Creed here in a moment, I'll invite you to listen closely for the gospel. In this creed, hear the good news that Jesus Christ is for you. Hear the good news of the name with which you are marked now and forever. Hear the good news that God is present with you in this age, now, and forever. Amen. <clears throat>